Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Hello and welcome to the Health Promotion Practice podcast. And I'm standing in as a host, thanks to the grace of Arden Castle and this early West Coast hour for recording. It's like 7 a.m. The sun is rising out here. Um, my name is Robin Evans-Agnew and I'm joined by Juan, Dr. Juan Aguilera, Jessica Leclerc and Deanne Shepard. And today we're going to talk about planetary health and climate justice. And so totally excited. Juan and I have got an article coming out, a commentary coming out in health promotion practice about this. But before we get started, let's go around and introduce ourselves and have people share a little bit about where they're calling in from. I, myself, am calling in from the land of the Puyallup tribe of Indians here in the smoky, sort of hazy, hazy West Coast side of Washington State in the United States in Tacoma, Washington. And I'm a health promotion researcher and nurse at the University of Washington, Tacoma. And Deanne, you're next on the deck. Nim Delouisi, Deanne Shepherd, Adawe Dachamguk. My name is Deanne Shepherd, and I'm from what loosely translates as the land across the water, which is known as Newfoundland and Labrador in colonized Canada. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto with an adult education community development specialization in Indigenous health. And I'm also currently uh, assistant professor in the Faculty of Nursing at St. Francis Xavier University. And I actually today am on the territory of the Algonquins, my relatives in Pembroke, Ontario. Juan. Fantastic. Good morning and hello. My name is Juan Aguilera. I'm currently located in the Paso del Norte region, which is specifically in El Paso, Texas, an area where I grew up in Mexico, where I actually did my physician training, but now here in the El Paso, I'm an assistant professor for the UT Health School of Public Health. So I feel happy to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Right on. Jessica. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica LeClaire, and I am a clinical faculty member and a PhD candidate with the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Nursing, which is located on the ancestral lands of the Ho-Chunk Nation a place that they have called Dejope since time immemorial. And I am really happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, so fun. So fun to have three great voices for climate and climate justice right here in the room. I, I have the true confession is I met Deanne over a podcast when we were doing our climate justice podcast for the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, who we were building a web page on climate justice. We've been doing a lot of conversations about climate justice and nursing. So that's really how I got to, and that's how I got to know Jessica too, because Juan, you may not know this, but Jessica goes, we've got to define this for nursing. And I'm like, what, what should we say? And then that wrapped itself into uh, American Journal of Public Health publication, where we actually defined climate justice for nursing in, in just, just last year. So a lot of fun. But how did we all get here? I, I, that's a little bit of my, my story about how I got to be standing here in front of you. I, I mean, I guess I also got here because I have an interest in asthma and environmental health, have had for a long time, and I worked at the American Lung Association. And so I sort of like came in from the other side, the non-academic side, 
where I'd been seeing changes go on. I begin to think about the larger effects of environment and health, and certainly the discourse changing around climate change. But that's kind of how I got into this place where I'm beginning to kind of describe myself as really interested in climate justice and climate justice research, because I see the impacts on the families that I work with. How about the rest of you? What's, what's bringing you to this place? They're all so polite. They've all got their sounds off. But Juan's got his, his Juan's unmuted. Uh, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I mean, I had the opportunity to work as a physician in Mexico for a couple of years, but I was really passionate about what could we do before a lot of the health outcomes start to happen, specifically like diabetes, hypertension, or chronic diseases. So that got me into public health. I got the opportunity to come to the US to learn more about certain approaches. I wasn't expecting to bump into a professor that was studying cardiovascular and respiratory health and the effects of air pollution. So that brought me into a whole different perspective of how your built environment can actually be a trigger for chronic disease and inflammation. And eventually I started learning so much from his approach and those projects. Eventually, as I continued through a PhD, I had the chance to work with also another great professor who taught me about the importance of nutrition, fruit and vegetable intake, how that it's also for the medicine. But then we had an overlapping work with air pollution and air quality and how it would relate to also the asthma effects, uh, physical activity. So it all started to come together. And then as I focused on a project that was bringing people from engineering, statistics, health, social work, I had a chance to be at Stanford, where I learned also about the whole exposure in the immune system and the West Coast being highly vulnerable to uh, wildfire smoke just because of the rising wildfires uh, got me a whole additional experience on how we need to protect ourselves from the various different changes that now we're seeing with climate change. Got the opportunity to come back to El Paso and now kind of like apply all these knowledge into a center that will focus on preventive medicine, treating chronic diseases, and also helping with nutritional efforts and built environment techniques. Yeah, it's interesting how the West Coast has been sort of indicated as one of these places. I mean, I spent time in LA when I was a college student years and years ago, and, and always the conversation was about the smog and the LA smog and everything. So I just, I feel like there's been a tradition of air quality science that's kind of gone up and down the West Coast. How about on the East Coast though? How did you get here, Deanne? How, how did, how did everything, aside from you talking to me in the back of your truck one time on, on Zoom, how did, how did you get here? Oh, I'm fascinated, Juan. I have so many questions running around in my head. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so, interested in having even more conversations than we're going to have today. I realized that my whole life, I've just been on this path of healing and not necessarily conscious of my unconscious motivators. But I recently lost my dad just over a year ago. He had silicosis, secondary to working in a mine, which I grew up my entire life. And then having an opportunity to work in other areas that were highly exploited, the last of which was out of Wapscat. And there was a diamond mine at De Beers working there and just the disconnect between the poverty, air quality, water quality of that First Nation, sitting next to the extraction and domination and just complete violation of that land. 
has arrived me here in a way that I is a little bit of a mystery to me, to be honest. So I don't want to talk too long, but just to say, magically, I've made connections with with them, and I feel like I'm just now sort of like, wow, I think I was thinking about this all the time, but it's come in a very different way for me. Thanks, Deanne, and that's it's it's really important to kind of begin to see how we build connections between thinking about disease or thinking about our experiences that we've had and they kind of do begin to knit together jessica you've been doing this a long time struggling against public health departments other things how did you get here yeah it's interesting so listening to to you and juan speak and then deanne's story has sort of opened me back even farther <laughs> into my my life course about how i got here right so you know as someone who's always who was raised to be feeling a sense of connection within nature, you know, that led me to my first degree, which actually was in environmental science and English. <laughs> and there, I really learned about the importance of building a sense of place so people can take care of each other and their surrounding environment. But then when I realized that not everyone has access to a nourishing sense of place or a nourishing relationship with their surrounding environment, I think that is what led me to public health, which is about health as a human right. And population health, and eventually public health nursing, just to have that greater impact of caring for people and places. And it was through my work as a public health nurse, and maybe my lens of being an environmentalist, that I saw climate injustices playing out in Madison before people were talking about this in Madison back in 2011. And that's where I saw children being exposed to floodwaters and then having respiratory responses to that because of the mold indoors. So both of you talked about maybe air pollution from externally, but I first awakened to it through air pollution within people's homes from the mold, interestingly, and the effect on very young children. And then as you shared, Robin, I was increasingly frustrated at the lack of response and the neglect and, and frank violence through that from my local public health department that just could not wrap their minds around a global force having local health impacts, uh, that was very challenging. And so I, I did pursue my master's in public health to study this and learn more about what I was seeing because I thought it was real <laughs> at this intersection of climate change, health, and equity. And in fact, I learned that there are public health departments around our country that are funded by the CDC to respond and at the state level to support local um, health departments, including our own in Wisconsin. But, you know, my story is one of struggle, and I think that's a story that I've been hearing through my dissertation research of a long struggle to affect change through government policy and decision making and so on. And so I became a nurse. This is what you've been hearing from other people that you've been talking to. Yeah, in yeah, that's right. And so I resonate with that. <laughs> it almost validates my story in some ways. And yeah. so I became an, a nurse educator to really empower the future nursing workforce to in my mind, fill some of these gaps in leadership and public health to understand that this is a public health crisis, that it is affecting morbidity, mortality, despair in the populations that we are charged to serve and build health equity and, and really to, to develop that missing leadership. So that is why I'm here today. You know, you know what you talked about, Jessica, is like, it, it, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off script because I want to, I, I want to get back to honoring what Deanne said about the loss of her father, right? You know, I'm so sorry he died. And I'm so sorry he died from silicosis. And I wonder about this 
moment when the people we work with walking through communities have an understanding how are they having this understanding of the environmental threats that are out there Juan, you're working with school kids who are breathing dirty air that's also getting compounded with climate related wildfire smoke coming in but they don't understand really how this is all becoming a systemic effect right people think about asthma but they don't think about some of the other multi-systemic effects that are going on and to have kind of like a rigid health department like you're saying jessica not going this doesn't work so how do we get to the justice part of this work how do we make a change everybody's totally silent right now if you're listening in right now they're just like nodding their heads and they go oh god robin you just asked a big question that's supposed to be 10 minutes later down the line i'm just <laughs> go ahead Diane. no i i feel like i feel like we need to demystify justice because if we think about it in all the ways that it could overpower us when i'm listening to jessica the injustice and the frustration in making change in the world I've also heard Jessica talk about the changes she's made, and it always comes down to one conversation at a time, spending time and building relationships with people. And I think that's the justice, is the ways that we can disrupt and have these conversations, we're free to do that. And we're free to share our opinions and we're free to educate. And I think that every aspect of our beings now, I feel like that is the call. So I feel like when I think about justice, I think about Jessica sharing a story about how they've changed like a whole piece out of a sign in their break room at the public health department where she worked. So I feel like we already know how to do this. It's just how do we encourage others to join us now and sort of move into those collaborative spaces. And I think the other part that I heard from Juan is the interdisciplinary nature that this is going to take. I just had the privilege of presenting at Bioneers one on planetary health, nursing at Bioneers, really fun. And what I can tell you is the message that I heard there is that if we are going to bring about the change that we know needs to happen, we need each other, we need to build a collective, and we need to broaden outside of sustainability, about outside of environment, outside of nursing, and move it out into where I think this conversation is moving, which is into planetary health. Yeah, I'll follow that. Yeah, and I think it's a really powerful message. And as you mentioned, I think one important goal is to demystify all these concepts, because as we get a better understanding of what is going on, I think it's very important to be able to define these concepts. I know we talk about climate justice, climate change, and of course, the people hear about these words just floating around and start to realize, okay, does it affect me? And with the changes, I mean, climate change is going to bring extreme weather events, change in the environment, more air pollution, more flooding, more extreme weather that's going to be changing some of the aspects. But then again, when we talk about climate justice, we need to acknowledge that these climate changes and extreme weather events don't affect the people in an equitable manner. Usually people that are in most vulnerable and most at-risk communities are the ones that are suffering from these changes. And as we go on our journeys as scientists, as human beings, as members of community, being able to, to acknowledge that and educate people 
because sadly the people that are less responsible for the changes in, in weather and pollution are now being the most likely affected by all these changes and that's just not fair and at the same time a lot of things need to be done yeah thank you deanne and and Juan. this the answer is in front of us right the fact that we're gathering now nurses physicians coming together having this kind of conversation working across disciplines but also beginning to work with in a deeper way with communities right working in transdisciplinary ways with communities to learn from their stories and to be able to have their stories kind of guide us and lead us and to really pay attention to that. I, I like that idea about making justice simple and making it not so complicated that you delay acting, that you begin to act now and, and take action. Deanne, you mentioned Bioneers. Bioneers is a group looking at ways to make change in the world. And they just had a recent conference around the environment and nature and restoring that and the connections to health. Jessica, you have come from being climate change to climate justice as well, right? This was always in, underneath everything that you were doing, you were thinking about justice. Yeah, that's right. So working within government for about 13 years, I think that I would sum up the biggest thing that I was working towards as a public health nurse was, was two things through my community organizing. It was, convincing the communities that I was working with that they mattered, that their voices mattered and could make a difference and could affect change. And then also internally working with my colleagues interdisciplinary within parks or planning or, or different departments that were the decision makers and had trying to weave health, met, health into their planning, but then also to convince them that community's voice matters and that it's never too soon to build relationship, even if there's not a decision on the table right now that you need community input in, but the importance of building authentic relationships with people who are most affected by any downstream policy or planning or decision that's going to happen. And I just keep thinking, you know, if, if, if government had these more authentic, real positive relationships with the communities that they serve, would we have been in a different place with like for example, pandemics, COVID-19, right? So just these examples of what happens when we don't have that relationship and then what happens when, when we could have that authentic partnership or relationships with people that are most affected. And so I think that, right, as nurses, our discipline is driven by social justice, it's in our code of ethics, but recognizing that not everyone has that framework or that mindset. And so bringing people in with where they're at and what matters to them and what they're working on and showing this really it's like you said, it's, it's not a really complicated concept. If we want to improve the conditions where people live, learn, work, play and pray, then, then that's a matter of justice. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about the people and I'm thinking current events and Juan, you're there in El Paso with the change in immigration policy that's gone on in the US. Are you noticing anything on the ground right now with the people or the communities you're working with or what's What's your sense of the overall air in El Paso at this moment? It's funny that you mentioned that because I know there's a lot of politicization with regards to the immigrants and people from external news always want to show you the most scandalous type of pictures or videos. But to be honest, the communities have been just working in like normal in a sense. Fortunately, we have migrant centers and faith-based organizations that are attending to the migrants and they're traveling to areas and 
to meet people they know already within the U.S. and going through the process. So we don't see necessarily like a crisis within the border as many tend to describe. However, I would say that for the last couple of days, we have been experiencing a little bit of smoke exposure. And this is from a waste facility that's been burning up in Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. So ironically, we've been facing some air pollution issues just because of that interconnectedness of being close to a border area where policies are different within one jurisdiction and another. And it serves as a point where we realize like how important is the interconnectedness of the communities we work and serve with because we're all sharing basically the same environment and working together, it's going to lead to, okay, what can we do about it? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, speaking of these many insults on the planet that we humans have caused, right, through our various extractive mindsets, I think Deanne was mentioned that earlier, how should we be thinking of ourselves as health promotion practitioners in terms of promoting the health of the planet? How does planetary health fit into this? Because Jessica said to me a couple of times, Robin, we can't just focus on the climate. You've got to focus, we've got to focus on planetary health. We've got to start talking about planetary health. So, so now's our moment. We've got a burning fire in El Paso. We've got human movement in, uh, across our planet in different places. We are burning stuff. We are pouring stuff into the ground. We are continuing to do other sorts of insults on the planet. How do we move into a space where we are concerned about planetary health? I can jump in with that. Um, Yeah. You know, I've been reflecting, you've mentioned wildfires a few times, and today it's very, very hazy in Wisconsin because of the wildfires in Canada. Mm. And as someone who has asthma, I've been experiencing an uptick in symptoms with that too. So, you know, planetary health knows no boundaries or borders. (laughs) It's the first thing we're all, we're all interconnected. And especially when it comes to air and water flows all the way to the ocean, right? So planetary health is this framework that looks at the boundaries for basically how much damage the earth can handle before there are risks to global public health that we're all being affected by. And climate change is one thread within that. It's sort of the fever of our planetary body. But then there's also deforestation or land system change, which is another boundary that's been breached and that that's the lungs of our planet, right? So holistically as health promotion practitioners, we can imagine the planet as a body, as it is a living organism that is being affected by multiple organ systems that are failing kind of at the same time right now or becoming sick or damaged, I would say by human corporate activities <laughs> right now, because not all humans are doing this. It's, it's big industry and corporations that are really damaging and through these extraction behaviors. And so it's also Another interesting planetary boundary that is breached is biogeochemical flows, which is nitrogen and phosphorus flows, which are causing the algal blooms and and so on and so forth and creating toxic waters for people. And then the fourth one that's being breached right now is biodiversity loss or increasing alarm rates around extinctions that are happening. And so this shows that we're all interconnected with not only our ecosystems that are shared across the earth, but we're also interconnected with other species and life outside of humans because we are all a part of nature. And so when we're teaching these concepts around planetary health, it's really important to teach the interconnectedness, but also the way to address this is through the interconnections of recognizing ourselves as within nature. And that's sort of at the heart of it. So again, through my dissertation work, when I'm speaking with 
nurses or community-based organizations that are part of indigenous communities, they speak to this paradigm shift that's needed almost worldwide for humanity to go from this othering to this more sense of belonging within nature and with each other. And so it's, it's this idea of a colonized mind that sees itself as being severed from nature almost, and that allows for more domination of other people, domination of places, domination of other species. Like how can we move more towards a sense of belonging with each other and within nature that inspires again, a sense of place and caring for each other and the places where we live. I was just noticing the other day, I was encouraging the one bee that I saw on my apple trees because I haven't seen that many insects around my apple trees. So I'm really worried that the blossoms bloomed and faded and may not have been pollinated. So we'll have to see how many apples I get this year, but certainly thinking about that connection and encouraging the bee, the one bee that I saw celebrating that bee's entity and being part of my apple project. Deanne, for you, planetary health, how does it fit for you and where's the motivation? I just feel like, you know, as a Mi'kmaq woman, as an Indigenous woman, planetary health resonates strongly because it's really built around that interconnection with nature, which is part and parcel of Indigenous ways of knowing and being and seeing the world. And I feel like, for me, it's an assumption that we are all related, including being related to rocks, trees, water the earth and soil beneath us, the sky and stars above us. And what I find most interesting, I was thinking just around the question around El Paso and then around the wildfires in Canada and just this recent derailment in Ohio Mm. where the decision was to burn and they went around regulation. They already saw death and devastation of fish and wildlife. And that was sort of became news and past news in just a second. And it became interesting to me because what was happening is that online you could watch the plume from this, where the plume was going. And it was only where people were going to be where that plume was that people were worried. And yet once it bypassed them and the wind changed, it was like it was no longer an issue. And I think the most important thing that planetary health, A, is an educational framework. It's essential to sort of give those definitions and concepts and allow nursing students and all all health promotion students to understand how that's organized. But the reality is, is that we're not in charge and it's really human flourishing that's at risk. I think mother earth will completely, if we continue to misbehave, she will take care of this and we will just simply be not here and the earth will heal itself. She will heal and regenerate herself. So this is really about, I think, bringing that story home to folks, thinking about the next seven generations, my grandchildren, their grandchildren, like what kind of a world are we wanting to leave for them? And I think that those are the stories and the questions. And the other thing that came in, I was thinking again, back to this Bioneers conference and listening. And the other word that came in for me really strongly Jessica spoke about the sense of place and creating those senses of place, because then you really are investing and getting connected and seeing these correlations. But the word that came up was devotion, like really moving into a space of, you know, how am I devoting my time? And that includes, you know, making different decisions. Do I travel to every conference? 
how do I make this like, how do I model this to my students, to my family, to my children, to my grandchildren? So planetary health for me has been a way of expanding that conversation outside of climate change, outside of climate justice. It's made it much more holistic, which I think on many levels is just more congruent with my own values and beliefs. I love that idea of devotion and the reset. One thing Deanne did to us folks when Jessica and I were writing the other day, Deanne also introduced this idea of pausing, right? To pause enough to let families who have struggled to have a voice, have a voice in this process, to be able to pause, to let, to catch up with the seven generations. The sense of urgency around climate change might distract us from, might make us actually exclude other people's voices when they come up. So this idea of devotion, this way of like changing your attention and your focus is, is really cool. Thank you for that. Juan, you, you worked with kids and families in your practice, how are they seeing and thinking around planetary health? What are your thoughts based on all of this swirl of stuff going on? I think it's definitely a direction in the right pace. I mean, we need to acknowledge that there is an interconnectedness of how, as a species, we are part of the environment within our own planet. And to acknowledge that the conditions that we are creating are definitely changing our own environment. And eventually it's a risk for ourselves as a species and for other species. I really like what Deanne was mentioning about having this interconnectedness with our environment or feeling. And as you mentioned, like rooting for that one B, I mm-hmm. think like now we are that working with families and working with communities, being able to bridge that and remind everybody about that. We used to be one with nature. We used to be more caring about the situations that were happening around our own ecology and our environment, the plants, the animals. We used to realize that we were so dependent on each other that we are forgetting that. We are self-absorbed and, and centered on, on what do we need to do for our own needs without realizing that the whole animals, the whole plants, the whole aspect of how we are interconnected needs to be first be shown at the individual level. But then as Jessica was mentioning, how we need to also be advocates for these communities. How do we take that individual sense of belonging within the planet to be in a sense of community and then working with organizations and how then we start aiming at the people that are, as, as it was mentioned through this conversation, in control, in power. How do we go from the individuals to then as a whole species trying to change the ways that we have been behaving into something a little bit better? Yeah. And I'm just thinking about all the places that we are at. And thank you, Deanne, for reminding us that the land is more than just the land that we're sitting on, it's the rocks, it is the air, it's everything, right? This is all feeling rosy, but this work is difficult, right? And I did have this extra question I wanted to ask everybody is like, what are the dangers? What are the dangers for us engaging in this work? What do you see as this being dangerous work? We're advocates, we're working in sort of a climate justice space, we're doing science, 
were blending Western science and integrating Western science with indigenous in a broad sense way of knowing, but also with our own particular practices and Mi'kmaq ways of knowing and others. What are the dangers for us in this work as health promotion practitioners? Or does everybody just love us and there's no danger at all? Sometimes. Yeah, I see a lot of shaking heads going on here. <laughs> Go ahead, Jessica. I mean, I think I think the first consideration is what are the dangers of not doing this work? And I think that Deanne spelled that out for us in a very clear way. So, and especially as a mother and someone with children, that is, you know, in the front of my mind in terms of persevering. I think that there are a number of dangers though in doing this work alone. <laughs> There's as health promotion practitioners and and reasons for that too. Number one at the forefront of my mind would be burnout, despair, a sense of moral distress, and so on can be real risks to mental health and burnout, which is already happening for, especially in nursing and many other, you know, health practitioners as well. And then also the risk of doing it alone and not in partnership with community-based organizations, for example, who have been doing this work for decades, if not centuries and have the expertise and the lived experience and the knowledge about how to do this work well and how to do it in a way that's sustaining as well. And so I think, again, that brings me to the importance of doing this work in solidarity with each other, with people that have the lived experience and in a way that is sustainable with moving forward. And then lastly, I'll say, it is important to keep in mind, again, that the primary polluters and drivers of planetary breakdown are these really powerful corporations that are directly partnering with nation states that are to commit these acts of violence. And so just being aware of potential threats that practitioners could receive, you know, like orders to desist, like stop and desist or whatever the terminology is, is what I'm hearing some people are getting and some just pretty scary threats to people, for example, public health practitioners that work within governments as well, risks to losing their jobs and livelihood or some other stories that I've been hearing about. So I think just going in with eyes wide open and being prepared and ready and not doing it by yourself and doing it again in solidarity so that there's more power behind these actions because it's movement driven is really critical. The justice space can be dangerous. Juan, any comments about danger for you, your work? Definitely, there's a risk and all that. As Jessica mentioned, burnout, exposure to suffering, trauma, just because like we see and hear the experiences and that's energy that you take with you. But also as we move up and start to rattle things up, breathe, corporate greed and all these corporations that are having their own interest being before human integrity can become a risk. And I also like what you mentioned as an approach where it's not about just working alone, finding people who to connect with and working with organizations and activist groups and partnering up. It's, I think, a way to diminish a little bit these risks because- uh, I have to ask on the, on the risks bit, because you're an air quality researcher and you're in the Paso del Norte basin, right? Which tends to be very polluted. So 
do you like watch the air quality forecast and wear masks outside when you're when you're out there from time to time how do you protect your own physical health sometimes working in some of these polluted areas that you're in to be fair i have the opportunity and the privilege to own an air purifier at home that has changed a little bit the air quality for myself and my family here we oddly see people wearing masks just to protect themselves from the risk. I feel that there's not many awareness just because of how people were just so tired with COVID of being told to wear masks and the whole bridging and issues with communication that came with them. It's sad to see that some of the protective measures got so affiliated to your political stance that we forgot about the protection to our own health and and all those aspects. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Deanne, any last comments on this dangerous work we're doing? Yeah, I've just been um, just listening, and I feel like, yes, there are definitely risks to this work, and I feel like there are ways that we can... uh, to use the metaphor of you know the body and the immune system, there are ways that we can sort of inoculate ourselves before we go out into those spaces. And we need to remember what they are and who they are, including building networks like these. I am deeply concerned as I listen to the news in the US around freedom of speech and the, the lengths now of government reach into libraries and schools. And I feel like we're going to have to really pay close attention to that because if it's happening in the U.S., there's always the potential that that will travel both directions. And I feel like this is another reason that podcasts and other ways that we can communicate and educate and facilitate conversations and network folks who feel alone. There's a reason that this is made to look complex and hard and lonely, and it's it's to discourage us. And and in my experience, anytime I've reached out to see, is there anyone else talking about this? There sure are. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to look too hard. So I I kind of feel like I'd like to end on, on a note where we do see the possibilities into the future. And I feel like we are the future. We're creating the next generation. And I just think we move with awareness, not fear like deep awareness and just leave the fear out because the fear is colonization. It's, it's, it's where they want us to go, but it also takes over our thinking brain if we allow it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's go out with some joy then. What's bringing you joy from the planet this moment as we speak? Maybe we should end with that. Anything in particular? I'll start just walking out my door this morning and walking with my dog to a park where I exercise and kneeling on the grass and feeling the grass in my knees. That was a good feeling. I can go next. I'm looking forward to camping this weekend and looking for all the spring ephemerals that are blooming right now. And only bloom for a short time. And so the impermanence is very mystical right now. And I'm looking forward to enjoying that. The buds of May, thank you. 
I'd like, I'd like to celebrate my human friends right here. You are nature. And Robin, thank you for the invitation and an opportunity to see Jessica, who I love to spend time with, and we've been really busy lately, and to meet a new human, Juan, looking forward to working with you. And specifically, uh, as I look out the window, I'm looking at what in the West Coast you wouldn't call a very big cedar, but from the East Coast, it's a massive cedar. And I'm thinking about going out to ask for permission to bring some cedar back to my elders, where cedars don't grow very very well in Mi'kma'ki. Um, I follow up just sharing that this is amazing to, to be part of this conversation, to interact with you all, to feel this connection between us as humans here, just talking about how can we do better for ourselves and our planet and these bond lasting relationships where we're able to meet people that think alike, where we're able to see the great and wonderful work everybody else is doing and to feel in an environment where we are sharing these goals and we're reaching out also to people that are listening to us. And as they listen to us, uh, they will have access to the information and also friends here that if they want, they can reach out to and contact because we will be happy mm -hmm. to meet with everybody that is aligned with the things that we have been saying here and looking mm -hmm. for that companionship to, okay, how can we drive things forward mm -hmm. within the area where anybody could be mm -hmm. located at or wherever they are, like to feel that they're part of this family that wants to ensure that we want the better for everybody else. Thank you, Juan. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. This was just a wonderful podcast. Thanks all for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.